Amen. And uh, uh, we're going to be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. We've been talking about the value of certain things this month. We've talked about the value of our faith and the trial of our faith. We've talked about the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week, that He was not just able to save us, but He was willing to save us as well. I'm thankful for that. And today we're going to finish up talking about the value of one of the gifts that He has given us today. And just so that you are aware, I do know that it's Christmas Eve, and I have been uh, given the task of KISS today. You know, it's keep it simple, stupid. I've been told to change that, and it's keep it simple and short. It's Christmas Eve. Amen. I know there's a lot of things uh, going on and, and happening today. I have to go home and make pierogies today. And I have to get those done and get the sausage cooked and get the sauerkraut out of the refrigerator because it's stinking it up. So that is waiting for me today. And boiled custard. Got a lot of things to do today. Amen. But we're going to be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 today. And it says this, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And today I want to talk to you for a short time about the value of His promises. The value of His promises. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that we can be here today, God, that You have given us this opportunity and privilege to gather together with You and with each other today. And Lord, I ask you that you would anoint my lips, anoint every ear in this place today to hear your word. Lord, we want your word to challenge us, to encourage us today, God, to change us today, Lord. And we give you the praise and glory for believing and trusting you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I've been talking about the value of things. And again, I've already mentioned we've talked about the value of our faith, the trial of our faith that Peter talks about. We've talked about the value of the blood that, Peter's, that Peter mentions, that there's nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus Christ. And today we want to talk about the value of His promises, His great and precious promises. And the reason we're talking about the value of certain things is because um, whether it's already happened or going to happen, there, there's uh, at a certain age, you know, that kids, they receive gifts and there's that, that just particular span of time where uh, the gift is not really that important. In fact, you wonder why you spent money. You why, wonder why you uh, went and looked for a certain thing. Because it seems once they open the gift, the box is more valuable than anything. I remember those days when your kids thought the box was more valuable. I don't even wish you could go back to those days and just buy boxes for your kids, right? <laughs> but they don't recognize the value of what's inside there, that you spent all that time and effort and money trying to pick out that perfect gift and all they really wanted was the box. And in the same way, there's gifts that God has given to us that He calls precious. And sometimes we can lose the value of them in our life as well. And today we look at the value of His precious promises. Peter tells us that we have exceeding great and precious promises. That means that we have the greatest and most desirable and most valuable of promises in our life. And I want to remind us this morning of why the promises of God should be precious to us, why they are valuable to us in our life. There's many, kind of, many different kinds of promises that we find in Scripture. There's unconditional promises 
that we find in Scripture. An unconditional promise means that it will happen. We know that Jesus is coming again someday. It's an unconditional promise. It doesn't matter what I do in my life. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. It doesn't matter what this world does or which direction it goes. It's an unconditional promise that Jesus is returning for his church one day. And I can lay uh, claim uh, onto that promise because I know that it's going to come to pass. It's unconditional. We have unconditional promises found in Scripture. We have conditional promises that are found in Scripture. We know the the verse that many know today, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and heal their land. We know that this is conditional. God doesn't just heal their land. No, there's conditions that we must do, that we must humble ourselves, that we must pray. I know that He is faithful and just to forgive my sins, but Scripture tells me if I confess my sins, then He is faithful and just. I'm glad that I have that promise. It may be conditional, but if I confess my sins to Him, I'm thankful that He is faithful and that He is just and He is still willing to forgive me. And there's personal promises. There's promises that God speaks to you and I. There's things that He, uh, in our prayer time, or, or however it may take place, that He uh, speaks to us. And, and, and they may be conditional or unconditional. It's your promise. I can't tell you whether it's conditional or unconditional. Yet one thing remains the same with all of these promises. The common denominator throughout all of these things is that they are all divine promises. No matter what kind of promise we're talking about, it is from God. And that changes things just a little bit. And I want to encourage you and remind you today that if it's a divine promise, why it's precious from God. And the first reason that it's precious may seem pretty obvious, but I'll just go ahead and state it because it's keep it simple, stupid, right? The first, oh, short, that's right. I got to drop that one. I do have four pages today. I cut that from six in an attempt, and it's front and back, so you know when I flip, there we go, that's all I got to do today, all right, (laughs) and I told the teleprompt people, sometimes I cheat, I'll just let you in on a secret, because I do print front and back, and sometimes it goes a little bit on the extra page, so I increase the margins of the page, (laughs) I didn't even do that today, it's just a real four pages, (laughs) but the first reason that the the promises of God are precious is because of the source, because of the source. Now, this may seem a little bit obvious, but if the promise is divine, then that means its source is God. That's very important for me to understand about why it's so precious is because the source of that promise is God. Since God is the source, then the author of Hebrews tells us some things about that source that add to the preciousness of the promise. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 18 says, For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability mutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us the author of Hebrews tells us that 
First of all, there was nothing greater that God could swear by than himself. When he said, I'm going to give you this promise, he swore by himself because there was nothing more powerful than God himself. But he said, I'm going to seal my promises. I'm going to seal this. It said he, in verse 17, he confirmed it by an oath. That means he sealed it and he guaranteed it with these two things. And the first thing is that God cannot lie. He said, I'm going to seal this promise to you with this very fact here, that I cannot lie. So if I cannot lie, then it will come to pass. If I can't tell a lie, then my word contains that power that it will happen. And he says, I want you to understand these things so that you can have a strong consolation. That means he wants you to have a comfort in the middle of things when they look bad. In the middle of the times when the promise seems far off. In the middle of the times when it seems that God himself is far off. I can grab a hold of the strong consolation of the comfort that God cannot lie. So if he cannot lie, his word will come to pass in my life. His word will take place in my life. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to wonder if God will honor his word. No, I know that he cannot lie. So I take strength in that fact. I have to understand that with God's promises that his word binds him to what he said because he cannot lie. Now there's a lot of things that people can say and promises that people can make. And I can make you all kind of promises this morning like this is going to be a short sermon. (laughs) But I could still end up being a liar. (laughs) Because... (laughs) You ever heard someone say, my word is my oath, or my word is, is, it settles the matter? You know, there's things that happen in our life where even sometimes where we have good and honest intentions to keep a promise that we've made, things can happen in our life, and suddenly the promise falls by the wayside. But I don't have to worry about that with God. I don't have to worry that circumstances will change Him. I don't have to worry that this will take place, and, and I have no more. No, He said it, and so I can believe it. He cannot lie. If He said it, He's going to do it. The second thing that we find in this passage is that he he is immutable. Now, I know that's a word that we use every day, his immutability, which I almost didn't say again. But really, that just means that he is unchangeable. His unchangeableness, which I don't think that's a word either, but I made it up, so that's great. But he is unchangeable. He said, the first thing that you can take comfort in when I say something to you is that I cannot lie, and so you can trust my word. The second thing that you can find comfort in is the fact that I do not change, that my counsel does not change. It states that we can have a comfort because the nature of his will is unchanging. His will and purpose is fixed. It is unalterable. God is not willing that any should perish. That's why salvation is still available for you and I today. Is because he is still willing that no one perishes today. That means that when it says that he is unchangeable, that means that he doesn't change his mind, but it is fixed. He's not changing yesterday. He's the same today. He's not going to change in the future. Circumstances don't change God. What happens in my life doesn't change what God has said in my life. Job chapter 23 says, but he is in one mind and who can turn him and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. That means that God has one purpose. He has one mind. And if he says something, then he will accomplish what he said he was going to do. If God desires it, then he will do it. And if God doesn't change, then that means what he desired 10 years ago hasn't changed. That means what God spoke to me, it doesn't matter how long ago, hasn't changed in my life. Now understand this, you may have changed, 
<laughs> in fact, in the last 10 years, you probably have changed. <laughs> Just go, well, never mind. You probably have changed. In the last 10 years, your circumstances may have changed. Things may not have turned out quite like you thought. Your life may be different than what you had planned five, ten years ago. Sickness may have hit you. There, there may have been a number of things that have come into your life. But just because the scripture says, I can't find comfort in my circumstances. I can't find comfort in this world that changes. I can't find comfort in my circumstances that change. But you know where I can find comfort is in his word that does not change. I can find comfort in his promises which do not change. And if God said, I want you to do this, he still wants me to do it. If God said, I'm going to do this, that means he's still going to do it despite what the circumstances look like. I'm glad that God doesn't change. I'm glad that he's a rock, that he is a surety that I can hold on to no matter what's going on in my life. Psalms chapter 33 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. His counsel is forever. It never changes. That means if he thought it one time, he still thinks it. In fact, the only time that we can find God consistently changing in Scripture is when we appeal to his mercy. That I was... Uh, headed down a path where the wages were death. I was headed down a path of sin. I was headed down a path of destruction. And all of a sudden I appealed to his mercy. And somehow I changed his mind. His mercy changed his mind. And I find myself standing here today. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow, of turning. Many people feel that this is a reference to a sundial. I don't know if you've ever seen a sundial. You probably don't have one. But the shadow is what tells you the time. And any slight movement of the sun changes the, the shadow. This verse tells me that there's not even a hint of turning in God. There's not even a hint of changing in God. Not even one minute as it would on the sundial. But there is no variableness in Him. I'm thankful that I can trust in the promises of God. I'm thankful that His promises are precious. I'm thankful that he cannot lie, so I hold on to that fact. I'm thankful that he doesn't change, so I hold on to that fact. The third thing to look at, because the promise is divine, when I look at the source, God is concerned about his reputation. His, his promises are precious because God is concerned about his reputation. God is allowed to be what I am not allowed to be. God is allowed to be jealous. Says he's a jealous God. I'm not supposed to be jealous. He says vengeance is mine. I think it's mine a lot of times, but he says it's his. He also is allowed to seek the glory. I'm not supposed to seek the glory, but God is concerned about his reputation. He's concerned with how he looks. He's concerned that he gets the credit when it all comes out. He's concerned who gets the praise. And so this plays out in two ways. Firstly, because he wants the praise, he's going to fulfill what he said he would do. Because he doesn't want to look bad. It's as simple as that. Because God wants the glory, God wants the credit, God wants the honor. If God said it, he's going to fulfill it. If he didn't fulfill it, that means that people wouldn't praise him. That means there would be no glory. That means he would receive no honor. Secondly, he wants no one else to receive praise for fulfillment. So he likes to deal, get this, in the impossible because he is the only one that can fulfill it. 
There's been times in my life when I've thought there is no way possible that this could ever work out. And that's when God says, you know what? Now I've got it under control because it's in the impossible that I work because it's through the impossible that he can get the credit. First Corinthians chapter one says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. How many of you fit in that category? <laughs> you know, he doesn't call the rich or the mighty or the smart because, you know, we're here today. But God hath chosen what? (laughs) You and I, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen what? You and I, the weak things of the world to confound the things which are might. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And here's why he's done that. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That means when it's impossible and only he can get the glory. That means when the doctors say there's no hope and it's only a miracle that can save that's when God says it's not too far gone now I know I can get the glory that means when it seems like provision is past all hope when there's no way that can be made God says no I'm gonna step in now because I know I'm gonna get the glory if I make the way I know I'm gonna get the glory if I provide he cares about his reputation so I don't let impossibility say and make his word null and void no I keep saying I believe in your promises they're precious I'm gonna keep standing on your promise because I know you still work in the impossible God cares about who gets the glory he wants the glory his promises are precious and believe it or not I'm not at a close but I'm getting close to it every minute that passes I get closer every minute that passes you get older too (laughs) his promises are precious Because divine promises have latent power. Have latent power. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 24 through 27. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purpose, so shall it stand. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains, tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out and who shall turn it back? You see, when God says something... It's not just empty words. It's not just empty promises. Again, I can make a host of promises. I could, I could do the Oprah thing this morning. I could stand up here and say, you know what? Everybody gets a car today. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. And no one's going to get excited because you know that's not true. <laughs> My wife can't even get a car, so I mean. <clears throat> I could say that. I could, I could make that promise to you, but I have no power to back up that promise. There's, I'm just saying words. I'm just saying something, but there's nothing behind it. But here's why the promises of God are precious. It's because when God says it, the power to perform it is contained in the words. 
That means if God said it, then he can do it. We see in Isaiah, he says what the Lord promises or what the Lord thinks. When he says something, there's a power behind it. And here he's speaking of the Assyrians. But it doesn't matter what the Assyrians want to do. It doesn't matter what the enemy wants to do. It doesn't matter who comes against it. If God said it, there's a power behind the words that man cannot stop, that circumstances cannot stop. If he has thought it, it it will come to pass because there's not just the words that he's saying, but there's the power to perform what he is saying as well. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21 says, this is speaking of Abraham, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. You see, it's more. I need to have just a little bit more than the promises of God. I need to be fully persuaded in my life, not just that he's given me a promise, but also that he's able to perform that promise. That means when he says, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that means he has the power to stick with you through every situation. That means he has the power to do what he he said he was going to do. That means when he said it, he has power to do what he said he could do. You see, he said some things in scripture. He said some things in my own life and people's life. And I, I begin to wonder how in the world can he do that? But you know what? I need to find the consolation in my own life. I need to find the comfort in my own life that the same God who said, let there be light. And there was light. When he spoke a promise to me, the same power that created the light and his word is the same power that works through his promises. If he said it, he can do it. If he's sworn or promised it when he promises, then it's tied to the arm of his strength. Not only is he tied to the oath by a binding contract of his word, but in Isaiah it tells us that he is bound to the arm of his strength when he promises. And when he promises it, it comes with the power to perform it. It's a divine promise that has divine power backing it up. So I need to quit worrying about whether his promises will come to pass. I need to quit worrying whether he can happen. It can happen in my life. I simply need to ask myself, did he promise it? Did he purpose it? then who can stop it? Who can make it void? Who can turn back the arm of his power? Who can change his hand? There's nobody that can do that. And so like Abraham, I'm going to step up and say, I'm going to be fully persuaded that he promised it. And if he promised it, then he can also perform it. I want to encourage somebody today. I want to challenge somebody today. Perhaps you're wondering where the promise is. Perhaps you're wondering how in the impossibility of the situation, God is still able to do anything. No, I want you to leave fully persuaded that what God has promised, He is able to perform today. That I'm standing on His promises because He cannot lie. He is unchangeable. He wants to get the glory. He wants to get the credit. And when He said it, He already put all the power to accomplish it in His words. And I close today if the music wants to come. There's promises... Plenty throughout Scripture. We don't have time to go through all the promises of God. In fact, if I'm honest, I deleted them all from my notes. I deleted his promises, man. But there's plenty of promises throughout Scripture. In fact, time wouldn't allow us to go through all the promises that we find. Never mind all the promises that he's spoken to individuals in this very room even. Promises about ministries, promises about families, promises about provision that God has spoken to people in this place. But you know what? I'm human, just in case you didn't realize that. And it it can become easy 
Because of life, it can become very easy to begin to doubt the promises of God. Very easy. Life just happens and suddenly we begin to doubt or perhaps even begin to forget the promises of God. There's times that we wonder, even though we know He said He'd never leave us or forsake us, we wonder if perhaps we're the exception. Maybe He's left me, maybe He's forsaken me. I know He said He never would, but I get feeling like Job and I say, man, I look in front of me and I don't see Him. I look behind, I don't see Him. I I don't know where He is. There's times when we begin to doubt that He's a provider even though scripture tells us and promises us that he's a provider because it seems like he hasn't come through when I needed him. There's times it feels like he's a way ruiner, not a way maker. The past seemed all kind of sad and all of a sudden it just seems ruined. He promises to be our healer and yet sickness still happens. See, it can become easy for us to begin to doubt the promises of God. And let me just say, the enemy would like nothing more than in those moments of doubt, in those moments of uncertainty. It's in those moments that he would like to sneak into your life and begin to plant seeds. Maybe he's not powerful enough. Maybe you misheard. Maybe that wasn't quite right. Maybe God isn't as powerful as you thought. He's finally met his match. And even though logically we know these things aren't true, yet still inside we feel them. Maybe we begin to doubt his word. It's not as trustworthy as I thought it was. Perhaps, perhaps it's time I start figuring things out on my own. The danger there is I begin to steal some of his glory and he doesn't like that. And you and I have tried figuring out things on our own sometimes, and a lot of times that ends up not very good. But the enemy starts saying, you know, perhaps you just need to figure it out on your own. Perhaps you just need to, uh, and he'll couch it in wonderful terms. He'll make it sound spiritual. I just step out and start doing things, and really it's just in myself and it's a lack of trust. But there's two things very quickly that remind me of his promises the value of his promises the first is the Holy Ghost itself God promised to send the apostles a comforter he promised to send something to them and we know in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 suddenly there came a sound from heaven I'm thankful that that sound still moves today it wasn't just a one-time experience that happened in Acts 2 but my Holy Ghost is not just is not just something so that I can be saved no I need to allow the Holy Ghost to be a reminder to me that if God promised something then he can bring it to pass every time that I feel his spirit every time that that he moves on me I need to let that be a reminder that you know what I have the Holy Ghost there's something within me that challenges me that God said he would do it and he did it so I'm putting my faith and trust in him one more time Let me say, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, it's still available for you today. The greatest promise ever given, the gift of the Holy Ghost. But also believe that this Christmas season gives us the encouragement that we need to about His promises. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, a verse that I'm sure that you've heard read at least some point in your life. You may hear it read this weekend in family setting or whatever. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 it says and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed 
In fact, I heard this, I've enjoyed Sunday school the last few weeks hearing from different people, and it was when one of them read this story. Might have been Brother Kevin or someone, I thought. Man, he just missed the whole point. No, I'm joking. He... No, it's one of those verses I've heard, I don't know how many times in my life, I don't know how many times I've read it. <clears throat> we find that in the scripture, there's all kind of prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ. The first prophecy came, in fact, as God pronounced judgment in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We find this is the first prophecy given that there's going to be a Messiah sent. There's going to be a Savior sent to this world. In fact, there's debate about how many prophecies, but there's over 18 very specific prophecies that were fulfilled just by the birth of Christ. We know there was over 300 about his life, but just about his birth, there's over 18. Genesis 9 tells us that God told Shem that the God of Shem would be the son of Shem. That's a lot of Shems. And from the first prophecy that was given until the birth of Christ is over 2,000 years from prophecy to fulfillment. During that time, there was a lot of waiting there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of ups and downs that took place between that first prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 and the story of Jesus' birth and His actual birth taking place. But this verse that starts out Luke chapter 2, Luke gathers every prophecy about Jesus. He gathers the thousands of people who have watched and who have waited. The Jews who have, who have been taught this and have waited their whole life and have passed the story on of the Messiah, of a Savior, down to their kids and their grandkids and great-grandkids. And they lived a really long time, so I don't know how many great-greats they went. But they told it. They passed it on. Luke, in this first verse, he gathers every doubt and every fear, every confusion, every moment that made the promises of a Messiah, of a Savior, seem distant. He pulls all the genealogical threads of through this line and this line because prophecy said it had to happen a certain way in a certain place. He pulls all of those threads. He pulls all every timeline together. And he does it with these five words. And they're words that I've read many times and it simply says, and it came to pass. You see, what I take is the throwaway words at the start of the story contain so much in them. They contain every prophecy. They contain all the genealogies. It, it, this phrase contains all the doubts, all the fears in this one little phrase. And it came to pass, comma. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever read the story before, but I always read these words kind of like once upon a time. It's just the start of the story and it came to pass. But what if in this Christmas time, what if as we think about this story, what if we could read these words with the hint of a promise, with the weight of over 2,000 years of waiting, of anticipation, of doubt, of all of these things. And what if we could read them as if it was what was really happening, which was the fulfillment of a promise. And we read it, and it came to pass. 
After all those years, after all the wondering, it came to pass. You see, the Christmas story itself, the birth of Jesus, is the best example that when God says something, it will happen. When He promises something, it will come to pass. When I see a nativity scene, I don't just say, oh, and it came to pass once upon a time. No, and it came to pass. And so when I look at my own life, I can believe and I can trust that it will come to pass in my life too. Because Jesus said it took 2,000 years. It took a lot of things to fall into place. But it came to pass. I think in this Christmas season, we just need to gather encouragement from those simple five words. And it came to pass. All those things that God has spoken to us, I gather encouragement because, and it came to pass. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. I know the timing may not be right. I know the timing may seem long. I know there may be all kind of obstacles in the way, but Scripture tells me, when the fullness of time was come, it came to pass. And I'm here simply to encourage someone today on this Christmas Eve service to not lose hope to find consolation today, to grab a hold of these five words and it came to pass and trust in the promises of God again. To not just believe that He gives promises, but to be fully persuaded that He which said it is able to perform it today as we stand this morning. I'm thankful for the promises of God. I'm thankful for His Word, that I can read His Word and I can find promises that speak to me, that speak to my life. And even though, like I said, if, if we're honest with ourselves, there's times when we, you don't have to raise your hand, but you may have doubted a promise of God. You may have said, you know what? He didn't seem very faithful. He didn't seem very close. He didn't seem like He cared. Maybe it's a personal promise that God has spoke to you. Let me just say, if God has spoken, He's able to perform it. I can take consolation in the fact that He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. That when He spoke it, there was power in His Word. Just as in creation, there was power in His Word. And as we think about this season, I grab on with hope and faith again to those five simple words, and it came to pass. And I know that if that came to pass, which think about all the things that had to happen for that to take place, then I know He can work it out in my life too. I know he can do what he said he was going to do in my life as well. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you.